Hello and welcome to Brandtuned, a podcast for people like you, marketers, designers and founders looking to build a great brand that's differentiated and distinctive. It's hosted by me, Shireen Smith, intellectual property lawyer, author and marketer. If you've ever felt like branding and in particular IP is confusing, complex, full of pitfalls and that you'd like to approach branding confidently, making correct IP decisions along the way which will make for far fewer headaches and much more valuable brands, well, that's exactly the kind of thing we can help you with using my tuned framework that I've developed over the years, which is a simple step-by-step approach you can use when building a business and brand, no matter the ambition or size of the organization. And you'll be able to get extra information on the tuned framework and how to use it with a special free learning resource we've got coming up. I'll be answering the top questions I've had, showing you some real-life examples where I can. I'll also explain towards the end how you can get more in-depth information and resources to help you. But just quickly, in case you don't know me, how do I know about branding and IP anyway? Well, I've been an IP lawyer for more than 20 years, helping all kinds of business with brand protection, writing three books in the process. And more than that, I set up my own business from scratch in 2005, which means I've had to go through all these matters, not only for huge global brands like Reuters, but with my own small startup business too. So let's get into some of the top questions. Question number one is, what are the different ways I can protect my brand? One of the most important ways you can protect your brand is through your name. One of my clients came to me when a competitor began using the same name as him. Unfortunately, he didn't have a name so much as a description of his services. He had registered this as a trademark, but as the logo comprised his name with a symbol, what was effectively protected by his trademark was his symbol rather than the word itself, which wasn't ownable. The word wouldn't have been capable of being registered on its own as a trademark, so it was pointless sinking money in legal proceedings to get the competitor to stop using the same name. We came up with a new ownable name that was available for him to register as a trademark. To ensure he could still benefit from the name he had previously been using, we kept it as the tagline. It didn't make sense for him to change the domain name he'd been using either, as it was a keyword-rich term that helped his site to appear in search results. So he bought a new domain to match his new brand name and redirected it to his keyword-rich domain. 
His site actually benefited from having a proper name, so he soon stood out against his competitors, of which there were quite a few, using keyword-rich domain names. Having a proper name made him unique. So I can't stress enough the importance of understanding what names are and are not ownable and ensuring you use one that is ownable. It's the best defense against the copying that inevitably occurs in business. Question number two is, do I need international protection or is UK protection enough? One of my clients had only registered his online e-commerce site's name in the UK as a trademark. Then a competitor set up shop in the USA using the same name. The first he heard about it was when a PR client of the company's asked if he'd set up a physical store in New York. Well, you can imagine how shocking it was for him. He hadn't registered a US trademark. The US shop had filed an application to register the name, so we had to oppose their trademark application. We were able to put up a convincing case because the client had many customers in the USA who had bought products from its site over the past eight years. The fact that it had been shipping goods to the USA meant that they had what's known as earlier rights in the USA. So it was possible to require the shop to rebrand. However, it was an expensive dispute. Although all was well in the end because the client won, the point to note is that if they had registered their trademark in the USA in the first place, it would have cost them 50 times less. The case would probably never have arisen in the first place because their trademark rights would have made it unlikely that anyone would open a shop under the same name. Also, in some countries, the law is different and whoever first secures a trademark is the one who has rights in a name rather than whoever first uses a trademark. So whenever you're generating revenues in a country, it's important to register a trademark there. Now, very quickly, because I know these thoughts pop up a lot too, a lot of people do wonder if they can just ignore IP, hope for the best, and only deal with it if things blow up. I'd really advise against that. If you only think about it later, it may be too late. Another thing that bothers people is they get the impression it's all terribly complicated and they can't possibly learn enough about IP to be effective. But that's not true either. Yes, you need good information from someone who knows what they're doing, but you don't need to train as a lawyer in order to make good decisions that create a really valuable brand, whether that's for you or for your clients. What you do need, though, is the right process. We're going to answer more top questions in just a moment. But before we get into that, 
calling all designers, marketers, brand consultants. If you want to stand out and step up to clients and projects worth two to three times more using a simple brand plan with IP, intellectual property, at the centre and get accreditation in IP in under 90 days starting from scratch, then join me at my upcoming webinar on Wednesday, 23rd November. Just go to brandtune.com slash online to get more information and register. On the webinar, I'll be discussing all this as well as identifying three common IP mistakes that can embarrass you, get you sued, and even threaten your business in extreme cases. So be sure to join. The link is in the show notes. Anyway, back to today's questions. Question number one is, how do I explain to graphic designers I work with the importance of checking they're not infringing on anyone's IP? I'll never forget a case involving a graphic designer client. He had created packaging for a client of his using artwork that his client had given him to incorporate into the design. The project was completed and 10,000 packs were produced bearing the design. The artist whose artwork had been used spotted the packs and therefore found out that his work had been used in the packaging without his permission. He was furious and wanted to initiate proceedings against my client. Under the law, the designer was personally responsible for the infringement, even though his client was the one who had asked him to use the artwork. So if his client hadn't helped out financially, it meant his house potentially was on the line. We were able to negotiate a solution whereby all the packs were destroyed and about £8,000 was paid to the artist by way of compensation for the copyright infringement. It is so important for designers to have a strong understanding of copyright and other IP laws so they avoid infringing on third parties' rights. There are many misconceptions out there, such as that images found on the internet or in the public domain, or that if you give credit, it's all right to use a work. However, unless a designer gets permission from the copyright owner of a work that they want to incorporate in their own work, they will infringe copyright. I'd suggest having a chat with designers before engaging them to double-check that they understand IP laws. I'd also insert a provision in the contract with designers saying that they warrant that all work they create for you is their own work and is not copied. Question number two is how can you be sure that graphic designers you work with hand over the rights to all the assets they create? How can you be sure they have done this fully? This could apply whether you're using a designer for your own business 
or outsourcing work to a designer on behalf of a client of yours. In terms of the legal position, it's really simple. As long as you use a contract with the designer before engaging them that assigns copyright in all assets they create for your project to you, you get copyright. It's a good idea to use a contract that is governed by English law. Include a provision requiring the designer to waive their moral rights. The assignment of copyright ensures the copyright belongs to you so that the designer would be infringing your rights if they used the same designs for another client. The waiver of moral rights means you can change the designs they create, which you may want to do down the line if it's a logo, say, to which you want to later add a symbol or tagline. In terms of whether the designer has physically sent you all the files in whatever format you may need, that's best answered by a designer. Make sure you get everything you need from them at the end of the project before finalising payment. Okay, I hope this has been helpful. Don't forget you'll be able to get extra information on the Tuned framework and how to use it with a special free learning resource we have coming up. I'll say more very soon. We're going to answer more top questions. Question number one is, what do you regard as the best branding campaigns of all time and why? Well, the campaign that immediately comes to mind is Apple's Think Different campaign. But in the interests of using a less well-known brand, I'd like to highlight Avis's We Try Harder campaign, which had a huge impact on the brand's fortunes and its subsequent business success. At the time, Avis was the second largest car rental company by fleet size and dealerships across the country. It used a story about an underdog that everyone could relate to and took a shot at the Hertz Corporation in the process. Its advertisement said that Avis is only number two in renter cars, so why go with us? We try harder. When you're not the biggest, you have to. We just can't afford dirty ashtrays or half-empty gas tanks or worn wipers or unwashed cars or low tyres or anything less than seat adjusters that adjust heaters that heat, defrosters that defrost. Its advertisement ended by explaining that the reason it tries harder is that it can't afford to take you for granted. It ended up with the statement, go with us next time. The line at your counter is shorter. It's often a clever tactic in branding to find an enemy. The enemy doesn't need to be another company. 
It can be the existing way of doing things, the status quo. The fact that Avis became the number one car rental company within a few years speaks volumes about the campaign's effectiveness. The IP point to note is that Avis was able to trademark its We Try Harder slogan to uniquely own its positioning. Trademarking is how you can protect your uniqueness in business. There's no point creating a purple cow if you can't stop every other business also being purple cows. The way to do that is by using IP rights and ultimately a trademark. Question number two is, do you think the internet is actually effective for brand building? Yes, I think the internet is highly effective for brand building if you know how to use it. Often that involves choosing a highly distinctive name like Google rather than keyword rich names. It's also about using distinctive branding consistently so you look unmistakably recognizable as you. So avoid chopping and changing the branding just because you get bored with your colors. We see our own brands 24 hours a day, so we may well be bored by it. But for customers who only occasionally see our brand, we want the visual and any auditory cues to become entrenched in their neural pathways. It's not appropriate to disturb their memories by making changes to our branding. It's also important to get a clear positioning, such as Avis had with its We Try Harder campaign. And the internet is your friend because there are so many more ways to spread your message. The free learning resource I referred to is the upcoming webinar on Wednesday 23rd of November when, among other things, I'll be identifying three common IP mistakes that can embarrass designers, marketers and brand consultants and get them sued and even exposed to possible loss of their business. This is important for founders to know about too, so everyone is welcome, even though the session focuses on how branding professionals can step up to clients and projects worth two to three times more by getting accreditation in IP in under 90 days, starting from scratch. Register at brandtune.com online. If you miss the event, there is a separate link in the show notes to register your interest to be notified when we schedule the next webinar. That's it for this week. Do subscribe to the Brandtune newsletter to get weekly updates. I'd also love to get your feedback just send me an email to info at brandtune.com. Finally, if you liked the episode, please do share it with your friends and colleagues and review it on iTunes or 
whichever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you leave us a five-star review, it means more people will listen and we can spread the word much more quickly about the podcast. Thank you and bye for now.